0: We are, we are two months into a series that, that kicked off right after Easter, and the series out, is out of this book of Acts in the Bible. And in essence, it's a study of, of the very first church, the very first church. And I'm not sure if you've actually thought this out, but, but from that first church in Jerusalem, someone left Jerusalem and went to another city and told people about Jesus, and there was a second church that was planted, and then a third and a fourth and a fifth. And eventually, the church over much time spread across all of Europe— And then a long time passed, and it jumped the Atlantic Ocean, and the church got launched for the very first time on our eastern seaboard. And then over the course of a long time, it spread across the entire continent of North America. And then a long time passed, and then on January 4th, 1998, there was this new church that was birthed right here, FCC. And I say that because FCC has this direct, unbroken thread all the way back to the first church. I mean, person to person to person to person. If, if we knew, like if God showed us, he could show us exactly who furthered the church from Jerusalem to the next place, next, next, until you get to this room right here. And so we're studying this first church, the first days and weeks and years, because there's a lot for us to learn because we're in that long thread as well. We've talked in these recent weeks about this man named Saul who became Paul, who was the biggest opponent of Christianity, the biggest opponent of Jesus We talked about how he persecuted those that followed Jesus, how he had many of them killed. And then Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, meets him face-to-face, and Saul, or Paul, becomes a follower of Jesus. And he begins to tell others about Jesus as well. And so that brings us to today, we're going to be in, in Acts 9, verses 28 to 30, just three simple verses, but very profound verses, Acts 9, verses 28 to 30. This guy named Saul, so he's... He's uh, begun to trust Jesus. He was in Damascus. He told people there about Jesus. He's come now down to Jerusalem. It says in verse 28, So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-seeking Jews, but they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. So here's this guy, Paul, and he's actually trying to convey good news He's taking people something to them, offering something that should be, he believes, good news, and the result that he has is they are deeply offended to the point, get this, not just to um, speak badly of him or to criticize him to his face, to the point that they they try to kill him. And, And as I've looked at Paul's life, here's where I want to go with this. This offensiveness that was felt when Paul would go someplace and tell people about Jesus, this wasn't just a one-off in Jerusalem. In fact, I'm going to draw a thread for us. Earlier this same chapter, I said Saul, Paul, had been in Damascus. He told people in Damascus about Jesus. And in Damascus, they tried to kill Paul. And so Paul has to escape Damascus. He comes to Jerusalem, which is where we are today. And he tells about Jesus. They try to, to kill him there. There's a plot to kill him there. He goes from Jerusalem. Eventually, he gets to Antioch of Pisidia. And he tells people about Jesus, and there are mob forms, and they run him out of town. He goes from there to Iconium. A mob attempts to stone him. It's not just run him out of town. They attempt to stone him to death, uh, but they don't get their act together in time, so he escapes. He goes to Lystra. There, the, the crowd has their act together. They actually do stone him, and they think he's dead. He's dead. And they drag him out of town, but he's not dead. He wakes up, and he goes from there to Philippi. There's another mob. When he talks about Jesus, they strip him, beat him, imprison him. He goes from there to Thessalonica. There's a mob, a riot, run him out of town. He goes from there to Berea. They run him out of town. By the way, I, I should have inserted in, he goes from there to Athens. It appears he stays for a few days, and he left just because he wanted to in Athens, Okay, a few days, no one stoned him, no one, you know, put him in prison, no one beat him. He just decided to leave Athens. So he leaves Athens after a few days, goes to Corinth, they put him on trial. He goes to Ephesus, there's this riot all about him. Goes to Greece, there's a plot to kill him. He goes to Jerusalem, there's a mob, they attempt to kill him, they, he's imprisoned. And this didn't happen in the course of six months. This is this 25-year run for this guy. It's a quarter of a century, and wherever this guy goes, doesn't give up. He's persistent. Wherever he goes, he starts telling people about Jesus and what he claims is good news about Jesus, and and every single place except for this small window in Athens, something tells me if he'd stayed longer in Athens, they would have found problems with him there as well. Every place he goes, there's this deep offense about him coming and about what he said, and I found myself wondering, this is very important for us. As a church, I found myself wondering, what caused the offense? Was it, was it that the messenger was offensive, or was it that the message was offensive? Was it the messenger? There have been some times, and oh, I hope I haven't done it to you. There have been some times that I have offended people, and it had nothing to do with the message I had. It's just I was offensive. And if, Don't nod your head out there. That's, that's very <laughs> convicting when you do that. I hope you're thinking of someone else, but you're probably not. I mean, there have been some times I have just been offensive, nothing to do with the message, and so it's very possible, and by the way, some of you have been that way too, okay? Very possible that Paul was just this offensive guy. He had great news, but he had a way of offending everybody. So I've looked at that really carefully. And this is what I've seen. As I've, as I've looked at his life, I do see this. He's very direct. He did not hold anything back. In fact, in Acts 20, Verses 26 to 27, he says this. He said, I declare today that I've been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. For I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. So he was direct and he he was complete. He didn't hold anything back. But I read these small portions of his preaching that were given in Acts. And the tone of his preaching is not offensive. I read those teachings that he has, the times that he preaches... And he's trying to reason with people. He's trying to embrace them, trying to draw them in. He speaks truth, but, but there's grace and there's love woven into that. He's not as offensive as Peter. You can read Peter in Acts, and, and Peter makes sure, like, he gets up close and he says, You killed Jesus. You know, make no mistake, you killed Jesus. Paul doesn't do that. There's not this offensive tone in his preaching. And then I looked at his writings because he wrote 13 of the books in the New Testament. And Now, everything I, I know about Paul, and you know about Paul, comes after he met Jesus. I have no idea what he was like before he met Jesus. But I read his writings, and I see, while there's great truth, I see there are a few occasions where there's some very stern correction he's given to a church. But, but far more than that, you can sense this grace and this deep, deep love for the ones he's writing to. And I read his writings and I don't see Paul as this offensive person around the message of Jesus. And in fact, it's not enough to convince me that it wasn't the offense of the messenger. I look at Jesus. I realize that Paul got his message from Jesus and Jesus had conveyed the same message about Jesus himself. And the bulk of humanity has viewed Jesus as the icon of grace and love. And what did they do to Jesus? They crucified him. Uh, So I look at Paul. Everything I see about Paul, I I come to this settled conclusion over the course of 25 years. It wasn't he was abrasive. It wasn't he was offensive. And I only have one other place to look for why they were so offended, and that is the message itself. And, And I would summarize the message this way. If you're taking notes, grab this sentence, write it down. Here's the essence of the gospel, the good news. Jesus is our only chance to be right with God. Jesus is our only chance to be right with God. And Paul would get that from Jesus himself. John would record, John 14, 6. It says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except by me. Jesus is saying, I am the only chance you have. And the early church got that. It would be recorded in Acts 4, 12, one of Peter's early sermons. He says, this salvation, there is salvation and no one else. God's given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. See, Jesus is our only chance. Jesus is your only chance to be made right with God. And that means that someone's best efforts just don't cut it. And that can feel very offensive, very offensive. Someone can look at all their efforts and they can say, I have blood, sweat, and tears to be good. And I'm better than, I think, someone could say, everyone in the room, and the message of Jesus is that is not good enough. You don't stand a chance without Jesus. Or it says that someone can say, I, I hear your view of God. I hear you, your view that Jesus is the son of God, but I have a different view. And I've wrestled hard. I've come to this different view of God, and I'm quite certain I'm right, and I have great peace about that. And the message of the gospel of Jesus is your only chance is Jesus. It doesn't matter how hard you work to come up at your view of God. It doesn't matter how honestly and genuinely you believe it. The message of Jesus is that he is your only chance. And that can be very, very offensive. And in their time, Paul would be saying to some, it's not Zeus. Say, I know you believe in Zeus. You've been worshiping him. I know that. It's not Zeus. You don't have a chance with Zeus. In his time, he would say, it's not the goddess Diana. I know your entire economy is built upon her. You worship her. It doesn't matter how sincere you are. He said, here's the message from the one God. Jesus is your only chance, and it can be very, very offensive. Paul would lay this out. God would prompt and stir Paul to write much of the New Testament. I said 13 books. The first one that the Bible actually has uh, recorded, not the first one he wrote, but its first in sequence in the Bible is the book of Romans, and if you were to look at Romans chapters 1 through 3, I want to summarize those first three chapters for you. It's, it's fascinating how God had him write this. He starts out the first chapter of Romans. In the very first chapter, he's talking to his audience, and he says, you see those people over, over there? Don't be offended, but I have to, have to use my hand somehow. It, just theoretically, you know, over there. So see those people over there? And then he begins to talk about the sins in their life, and he makes sure to have this broad swath and certainly some of those sins, the crowd he's writing to, they would see some of those sins and they would say, those are horrific. And I'll give you just one, one verse. There are many other examples he gives. Romans one twenty nine. he's talking about those people over there, their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. And then it's almost like his audience shouts for him, guilty. It's a slam dunk. After the way they've lived, guilty. Feel really good about themselves. And then he begins chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then he says to his audience, you may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they're wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourselves. For you who judge others do these very same things. And then he talks some about them, about their sin then. And he's saying, you're no different than they are. You were quick to see their sin, quick to see how they should be judged, quick to say they're guilty. And he's saying, I'm looking at you. I'm seeing the same thing in you. In fact, he would say in Romans 3, verses 19 and 23, and he would lump himself into this. He would say, the entire world is guilty before God. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. He was saying to his audience and to everyone they would ever look at, Guilty before God. And then he would write in what I would call two holy buts. There are two holy buts in this. One of them is Romans 5.8. He would say guilty, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. We are as guilty as could be. We don't stand a chance on our own But in spite of that, God loves us so much, he actually sent his son to die for us. This isn't a theoretical thing. This isn't just words that say, I love you. He he did. He sent his son, and he died for us. Guilty, but God showed his love for us by sending his son to die for us. And then the second one, Romans 3, 21, 22, guilty, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him, Without keeping the, the, the requirements of the law, um, um, as was promised by the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who they are, we're made right by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. This is true of everyone. doesn't matter what sin, how many sin, how deep, how dark, dark how ugly. This is true of everyone. We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And by the way, important side note: biblical faith to place one's faith in Jesus is to ask Jesus to forgive you and lead you. In essence, you're saying, "I believe if I if I ask you to forgive me and lead me, I believe you will forgive every sin, and I'll put myself under your leadership. You lead me. Faith in Jesus. The message then is: is everyone's guilty. But Jesus is your only chance. He is your chance. And it's highly offensive to many. I, I read the, the rundown of Paul's 25 years, but I didn't tell you the full story about those 25 years. So I, I want to run back through those 25 years again. And I want to pick up where he left Jerusalem in Acts 9, where we started. He went to Antioch of Pisidia where there wasn't a single follower of Jesus that never heard of Jesus. And before a mob formed and ran him out of town, by the time he was run out of town, there were several followers of Jesus now, and there was a church planted in Antioch. He's run out of town. He goes to Iconium. And before the mob attempts to stone him, and he's run out... Iconium had never had a Christ follower, and now they have several of them, and a church is started in Iconium. They attempt to stone him. He runs from there to Lystra, where there had never been a single follower of Jesus ever in the city. And before they stoned him and left him for dead, there were several that believed in Jesus and started a brand-new church there. He goes to Philippi, and before they the mob stripped him and beat him and imprisoned him and ejected him out, there were several for the first time ever Followers of Jesus in Philippi, there's a church formed there. He goes to Thessalonica where there would never been a follower of Jesus before they riot, run him out of town. They're brand new followers. There's a brand new church there. He goes to Berea where there would never been a follower before he's run out. They're followers. There's a new church. He goes to Athens. This is very interesting. He goes to Athens for those few days. It's the only place he wasn't run out of town, and it's the only place. It doesn't say there were new believers and a church founded. Fascinating. He leaves Athens after a few days. He goes to Corinth where there had never been a single follower of Jesus. Before they arrest him and put him on trial, now there are many followers and there's a church found. He goes to Ephesus where there was a church. And once he comes, the church grows and thrives and on and on and on. Paul would take this message that is highly offensive. But as he would take this message, he, he would be convinced Convinced it could change someone's life and eternity. And he would write in Romans 1, 16 and 17, he would say, I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. He was so aware it was offensive. He was so aware there were some that would be the only response they would ever have would be deeply offended, and they would respond in their offense. But he was so aware it was the only chance they had. And there would be some who would respond and ask Jesus to forgive them and lead them, and a new life would begin, and an eternal address would be changed. I want to speak for maybe four or five minutes first to the many in this room that are followers of Jesus and help you think out where this goes. You and I are the, we possess the only message that will ever make anyone right with God. We have the only message that will ever make anyone right with God. And those of us that follow Jesus, we're the only carriers of that message. There are no other carriers of that message. We're the only ones. And we must do, we must take that message to Those within our reach, it, knowing it, it can be offensive, knowing it will be offensive to many, we have to realize it is the only chance people have. Marie and I went to a retirement party this past week in Houston. Is it was a country club in Houston? This uh, individual had worked for the same huge worldwide corporation for forty one years the entire forty one year run and We'd known this individual um, well, and we'd known that for years and years and years, this individual follows Jesus with abandon. And we had known for many years this person had lived uh, openly in the workplace as a follower of Jesus, and openly had spoken about him, and on and on and on. And while I don't know all the details and all the stories, I can be quite sure of this, that for many people that watched that and heard that, many people were deeply offended. And I'm sure that many times there were behind-the-back barbs that were thrown. There were behind the back jokes that were told. I'm sure many times just face to face there was just flat right rejection. I'm sure many times that the grace this person had was misunderstood as weakness. I'm sure this person realized the entire run that their career path was all in jeopardy and yet they just followed Jesus anyway. So this country club is packed with people and we're there for the whole evening and so I'm just kind of wandering around and talking with people and I begin to hear stories about the retiree and this one lady said I have to tell you about this guy I lost both my parents to cancer back to back just this double whammy and, and this, this person uh, conveyed the hope of God to me and such compassion and I still have the emails from years ago I still have them. And then I ran to another person and this person said, I got to tell you about this person that's being honored tonight. I had such a dilemma in my life, such a crisis in my life. And and right here in the office, this person prayed for me and prayed with me. And then there was this wisdom that came out of it. And then I went to another person. This person said, I got to tell you a story. I was in a, this, this hard place and everything. And I sat down with this individual and, and presented this to this person. And this person uh, this person really ticked me off because because they they prayed, they talked about God. They said this this is what they thought I should do. In God's economy of things, and and I was so ticked off because this person would tell me the truth. I knew it was the truth, but I realized that, and I followed the truth that this person had the guts to give me. And on and on and on as I. Worked my way around the room. I can't tell you how many people said, just in conversation, said, you know, the, the guy being honored... He gave me this book about following Jesus that has touched and impacted my life on and on and on. Then the formal time began and there's this microphone and people come to the microphone and they're the same stories, the same type of stories again and again about this person's grace and love and kindness and wisdom and truth. And Jesus through the entire thick of it. They finish the mic time. The honoree takes the microphone. This is the last time the honoree will ever speak in the employed capacity to this group of people. After 41 years, the honoree begins to speak and you can feel how much he he loves the people in this room you can feel it he talks for a little while and you can feel that and then and then he turns in what will be his the final subject he'll ever speak to this crowd he begins to talk about god and the goodness of God, and the grace of God, and God's impact upon his life, and how God has spoken, and led, and guided, and provided, and on, and on. I wish I would have recorded it. There was this soaring commentary about the God of the universe, and and then I had been asked, because I'm a pastor, I've been asked to come up and pray afterwards, and after that, it was easy to pray, to get up and pray about that, and so I get up in front of this crowd of corporate people, and I pray, and by the time I said amen, there was this echo of amen that filled the country club. And I thought, this guy brought church to his retirement party. And I realized from the stories, this guy has brought Jesus and Jesus' church to every place he goes. And yes, he knew many would be offended. But more than that, he knew it was Jesus is everyone's only chance. And I know he took some hits, but just one night this week, I saw the impact of someone living that way. Through a follower of Jesus, we got to be clear. We will offend, not hopefully, prayerfully, how we say things, but merely what we say will offend many people. But we must live it and say it because it is as was for us. It is their only chance. It is their only chance. And we must take the risk and go there. We must take the risk and go there. To those of you that are not yet followers of Jesus, I want to say this to you with great clarity. Jesus Christ is your only chance to ever be made right with God. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how good your best efforts are. You may trump my best efforts by 50-fold. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The gospel of Jesus is he's your only chance. It doesn't matter what your view of God is, if it's different than, than what God lays out through Jesus. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how genuine you are, how sincere you are. The truth of the matter is that Jesus Christ is your only chance to be made right with God and you're no different than anyone else, you are a sinner like everybody else on the planet. Me above all. And you're no different, you're guilty like everybody else, but they're two holy buts for you as well. Guilty, but God loved you so much, his son Jesus died for you. He died for you, he loved you that much. Guilty, but he's made the way for you to be made right with God through faith in Jesus. He's made the way. And it is as simple and profound and decisive as you say in Jesus, from my heart, would you forgive my many sins? And would you lead me? And in that moment, the wall is blown down and the sins are forgiven and innocence is lands on you and there's a brand new life that begins. There's a brand new life that begins. It's the only way. We're going to celebrate communion right before Jesus died for you and for me. He gathered his followers and he did something that would be very symbolic of his love in the pathway to forgiveness and being made right with God. He gathered them and he took a loaf of bread and he gave thanks to his father for it. And he broke that bread and said, This is my body, which will be broken for you. And then he took the cup, which was filled in his time with blood red wine, blood red juice in our case. He thanked the father. He said, this represents my blood which is about to be shed for the forgiveness of sins for you and for many. And we are the many he was speaking of. He said, take and and eat and drink this often to remember me and what I've done. At FCC, there have been a number of people through the 17 and a half year run that in the setting of communion they have given their life to Jesus. They've decided they'll take the only way. They've given their life to Jesus. And they've decided, I will ask him to forgive me and lead me. And then they've come down, whatever the setting is, whatever the room is, and taken communion and had this deep, deep sense of, he, he loves me. His body broken for me. Blood shed for me, and, I'm, and now I'm right with God. And some of you in this room now, Um, God's intent is today's your day. There's going to be no other pathway. You can chase anything you want. As long as you want, there's no other pathway. God's intent, this is your day. He's calling you. He's inviting you into it. And then for those of us Christ followers, there's always this fresh sense because we can get busy with life and forget. There's this fresh chance that all over again we realize, broken for me said for me freedom that I've known for if you trusted Jesus yesterday for 24 hours if it was eight weeks ago I've known freedom for eight weeks and on and on and on there's just this fresh sense so we're going to celebrate communion and let me give you some some help about how we do it one is there's no order in which we come here just come when you're ready and if you're ready when you do come, I would encourage you to, whatever row you're on, go to your left, then come down to the front, and then there'll be servers all the way across the front. But, but work your way then back to the right to a server, and then go back up this way just for the flow of traffic. Um, now, the exception to that is we have gluten-free stations on the far ends on both sides. All the bread is gluten-free. The, the juice is protected gluten-free as well. And if you need that, then go to one of the end stations. When you come down, um, you'll take a piece of bread. Think about what that represents. And then dip it in the cup and think about what that represents. And then put it in your mouth representing, I have taken Jesus in as Lord and Savior. And, And let the emotion of that well over you. For some of you, this is your day. Father in heaven. I pray that your spirit will be stirring and confirming the truth that's been spoken out of your word today. And I, I pray that we will respond out of where we are with faith. I pray that this, uh, this celebration that your son Jesus launched of communion that will have deep, fresh meaning to every person in this room.